Hi. Hey. We are here in beautiful East Texas. Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> home of the piney woods. Yes. The pine Behind the pine curtain, as they say. Absolutely. <laughs> I always tell people to watch the movie Bernie with Jack Black if you want an understanding of the region. It's a pretty good representation of it. It's quite accurate. <laughs> it's a little scary. Whoever they consulted, they were spot on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do actually have a story from East Texas, but that's the last one. So, okay. Yeah. Well, saving the best for last. Yes. The quote unquote best. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> All right. So yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> you build this kind of weird and I was like, "All right, let's let's do it, I guess." But I still yeah. don't really have a firm grasp of what that is. So, I am calling this a grab bag. These are just kind of mini stories that I didn't quite feel like had the juice for a whole episode quite mm. yet. Maybe, you know, some of these themes we could come back to. Mm-hmm. But it was just like smaller history stories, basically. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Cool. And uh, listeners, if I sound more gravelly or... <laughs> you sound like shit. Yeah. Um, this week, I guess, was the first week of our students coming back to school. So I talked a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't talk that much usually. So my voice is a little worn out from that. But I'll try my best. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> All right. First up. We're going to talk about Norway, because I was just there. Oh, heck yeah. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Norway, what do you got? So I want to probably do a full episode on like the Scandinavian and the Nordic model in general. Mm, okay. um, but I thought this could be a good intro to it and uh, kind of a starting point. And listeners, if you want to send in your perspectives on it, feel free to. Um, but I visited Norway recently, and I was really struck by how nice it was and like the public transportation was great. Like the trains were on time, super efficient, like not that expensive. Like it was very easy to get around there. And they didn't even have to do fascism to make the trains (laughs) run on time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And like the buses, they're like, like charter bus style buses, not like our rinky dink, like here's a scary bus to get stabbed. Like it's a nice bus. Like a a big, good bus. Yeah. Like comfortable seats with seat belts and like, it was it was nice. Um, you like could put your luggage underneath like a charter bus, basically. Mm, yeah. So yeah, we used that to get around. It was like super easy. Um, I took the train from Oslo to Bergen, and it was that was like seven hours, but like it was beautiful, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. And you're also like going through like tunnels and mountains and shit, so like I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was very struck by like how nice it was. Every city I went to was very clean. Um, I saw a couple homeless people, but they like seem pretty chill i don't i don't know i don't know their whole situation they're like doing street performances and stuff like that but they didn't seem to be like i don't know in like mental health crisis like the way like a lot of homeless people are in the states and they probably weren't facing as much hostile architecture and things mm-hmm. like that that we you know or just outright you know police raids and stuff that we i don't do. think i saw a cop so <laughs> that's uh, definitely a positive. I don't think I saw cops in London. I don't think I saw a cop in France either. Like just no cops in Europe. Pretty no rare. cops. Yeah. And when they do show up, they're afraid, you know, they're yeah. afraid of people rather than the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was very nice. And I got to thinking like, hmm, how did it get this nice? And we were kind of chatting about it because we were renting uh, what was somebody's vacation home. Um, and it was in the skiing village. And, like, the the guy that was kind of our, our guide there was like, 
Yeah, this guy's like an oil baron. Whoa. <laughs> the guy who... The guy who owns the house. Okay. But he was like Norwegian, but an oil baron? That's the secret. Mm. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Nordic model and how it intersects with... Uh, oil and other interests. Mm, okay, so, so you're 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 essentially going to peel back the curtain behind social democracy. A little bit. See see what's turning the wheels there. <laughs> so let's start with like the Nordic model in general. We've all heard of this. We've all longed for it. Like, oh, I wish we could be like the Scandinavian people. Have free health care. Uh, they have free education. They have good pensions. Uh, they have high levels of unionization. Norway has actually won the top spot at, uh, for the UN's World Happiness Report. Oh. I think that's in 2018, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's pretty good. Their yeah. whole ethos is, you know, we'll take care of our people. But it's a little bit more than that. And, like, I think people in the States often refer to it as socialism. It's straight up not. Yeah, so, <laughs> in, I guess to put it in the American context, this is pretty much the furthest extent of what like Bernie Sanders would mm-hmm. argue for is kind of like, Hey, let's do like they do in Norway. And I think sometimes he specifically says that like, yeah, these guys, you know, they have social welfare provisions and they have just a better social safety net. They have better, all these, you know, publicly provided goods and things. Yes. You're saying that's like got a dark side to it. Well, one, it's not even what we want Mm -hmm. because like the real way the Nordic model works is they use what's called tripartism and it's basically balancing the needs between companies, unions, and the government. Okay. Which is better than what we have now, which is just mostly companies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like it's kind of a social pressure kind of thing where like they all work together to like that's why they have pretty good wages and stuff like that. But it's not like... Like, don't get it twisted. Like, the workers aren't in charge, you know? So it's like the the different classes collaborating with each other? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know that class collaborationism is... Mm, a little bit fash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're right that I guess it is a step better than... This, this particular variety of it is a step better than, say... Figuring out ways that the government can adjust to the needs of businesses business. and... You know, fuck the workers. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. Like, this is still, you know, corporate. This is still a mixed economy. The government is heavily involved in some industries. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest one they're involved in is oil. Norway makes about 20% of their GDP off of oil money. Mm, They are, like, the largest producer of oil outside the Middle East Hmm. uh, per capita. So I knew, like, about Dutch Shell... Right? Mm-hmm. But what is Norway's? Do they have a well-known oil company? Um, yes. Let me look up the name. The state-owned Petoro. Petoro. And they also okay. own 62% of Stat Statoil. So they either own outright companies or own large shares of them. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of oil and natural gas. Okay. They're just super rich in it. Like, it's pretty crazy. But what they do, which is interesting and like characterized as like very responsible and like oh wow that's the way to do it they have what's called a government pension fund for the oil money Mm -hmm. so whatever surplus revenue they make from that uh, because oil is such a unstable thing to invest in they basically like take that money and reinvest it in like real estate and other things um, so they can like stabilize that money the government does the government does this okay so this is essentially their version of like the 
Saudi uh, sovereign wealth fund or whatever. All, all the yeah. Gulf state nations have that of like they, they get a bunch of this money from their state owned enterprises and whatnot. And like, like you're saying, they, they just reinvest it and stuff like they, they find <laughs> they, they buy out all the apartments and, and fancy high rises and stuff in London or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they, they find a way for their money to <laughs> they launder be the money. Away. Yes. <laughs> they essentially launder the money. OK. I mean, legally, but still. Yeah. I mean, does it get you an idea of, like, how much money we're talking about? Uh, it's worth about $250,000 per Norwegian citizen. How many Norwegian citizens are there? <laughs> Leaving in my keyboard sounds. Uh, $5.379 million. Okay, so that's a, that's a bit. That's a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> it has over $1.19 trillion U.S. dollars in assets. Nothing. Nothing. That's chump change. We give that much to the military every Tuesday. It's like a tenth of our <laughs> national debt. But yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting, though, like the management of this is very controversial. Like they used to say, like, okay, we can only like play around with, you know, 30% of this money and they keep increasing it. I think now it's up to like 70%. They can like Ooh. invest in stocks and shit. Okay. So they gamble more and more of it, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas previously they were like, we can make. So you think of it like a. Well, like a retirement indexed account fund. sort of, yeah, yeah, pension fund sort of thing. And it's like, you are supposed to gamble with some of the money to make big gains, but you're also supposed to keep most of it stable. They're doing more and more gambling. Okay. All right. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, I mean, this is a pretty short segment, but I kind of just wanted to like show the contrast of a supposedly, you know, socialist or, you know, mm-hmm. progressive country basically builds all of its wealth off of like a really exploitive business and yeah. like that's why they're able to do all those things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm again, better than what we're doing with our oil money and every other money we get is just like, yeah, fuck you guys. We're not going to give you anything. But still, it's just, it's interesting that it's held up as this like paragon of, you know, this is how to treat your citizens when it's like, well, what are you doing, man? Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think America in its post-war years, had a lot of elements of that sort of social democracy light sort of thing mm-hmm. of like this sort of compact between labor and capital essentially at the bayonet point of global communism was that mm-hmm. hey if we don't bribe our workers with you know some sort of you know good deal for them then like the soviets are going to be a more enticing alternative model yeah, and you know. the the time periods match up. The 30s is when that kind of welfare state really took off in the region. And they call it like the Great Compromise. And that was like workers, verse, not versus, but I guess with corporations kind of like coming to agreements, like lots of negotiations. Yeah, I think it was, you know, workers versus corporations, but like with the government as a mediator. Yes, exactly. And saying like, we got to, you know. Saying to the companies, we got to do something for them. Saying for the workers, we got to give something to to the companies too. So, but yeah, I think it's you know aside from the the I think pretty rashness of gambling more and more of your money, <laughs> uh, it is you know interesting that we are in such a increasingly out in the open climate crisis, and one of the models that we're holding up as an alternative while there are good elements of it (laughs) is running on an engine of you know just climate disaster i mean all those those oil companies can be as responsible as they want but they're still 
externalizing some of those, well, most of their negative ecological impacts. Yeah. And like, we were even kind of joking about it. Like, yeah, this, this area feels like really safe. And they're like, yeah, everybody who lives here is rich. Like, that's why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and also Norway, like resisted joining the EU because of its oil money and was like trying to be kind of protective of it. So like, it's a bit of an exception, it seems like in in the rest of like Scandinavia, like Mm. it, it seems like it has more so than the others. I didn't do a lot of research into the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like, well, how do they make it work? Right. So. Yeah. What What, are the, what about the rest of the Nordics? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. You know, I guess your most liberal friends that aren't, you know, all the way out to socialist or communist will kind of stop here and be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is as good this as, we, you know, this would be great. <laughs> and uh, it would. Don't get me wrong. I'd yeah. be pretty pleased. I think, yeah, that's where it comes <laughs> into play is like that strategy of, you know, demand what is what is possible now and then turn around the next second and say, okay, yeah, actually, that's not enough. We mm-hmm. want this, you know, mm-hmm. and people are going to call you an asshole or whatever. And that's fine. They can do that. But you already got, you know, a big concession and then, <laughs> then you can ask for more. <laughs> okay. Our next story is in ancient Rome. Ooh, okay. Ancient Rome. So not, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of things that I know about ancient Roman history that are communism related, but let's see. We're dipping into some light welfare state stuff again. Ooh, okay. Okay. So this is a story of the Gracchus brothers. You ever heard of them? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what I know about them? Yeah, or? what do you know All about right. them? I don't remember the names. I think one of them was Tiberius. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the other guy's name. Sorry. Uh, Gaius. Gaius. Or Gaius. Gaius. Sorry about that. We'll call him Gaius. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Gaius. It's probably but... Gaius. Okay. And I know that they... So basically what I know about them is they were very popular. They would appeal to the people. I don't know what they told them, but they were like, the people, you know, you guys are great. The rich people, they're not great. You're great. And then they got killed. Yes. That is the, the TLDR of this story. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. First off, source, big shout out to the Extra Credits YouTube channel. Mm. Um, I tried reading about this and it just made my head hurt with all the Roman names. Um, <laughs> they all have three. Yeah. So. And I was like, oh, they're all the same. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> there's just so many Senate procedures. And I was like, <laughs> mm. um, so this channel had like cute cartoons and that really helped me. <laughs> so shout out to them. But yeah, this is kind of a story about populism. And I just wanted to examine like the characterization of it and like, how that plays out yeah all right so some background uh in the second century uh rome was expanding like crazy which kind of led to some weird stuff happening in their economy uh when rome takes over a place they're like hey y'all are all slaves now cool (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna take your lands and uh we'll take all the slaves back to rome Mm -hmm. so what this would do is um you'd have rich landowners one taking these slaves and building vast estates run by slaves, pricing out small farmers. Okay. These are the latifundia? Basically, yes. Okay. Yeah. And the conquested lands, they're supposed to be turned into common lands for the people or distributed amongst the regular people. Okay. Do a land reform? A little bit. But rich folks basically ignored this rule and like worked the land anyway, making their estates larger and larger. There was a cap of 500 acres, but it was like, essentially ignored like no one enforced this law fake land reform yeah yeah. oh okay uh when when you say they enslaved everyone is this like just like the the common people or like 
the enemy army or I don't know how they... I'm not sure. Probably okay. just the common people. That's, that's yeah. kind of how I, I saw it characterized, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. Because I know sometimes in, at least in later Roman Empire period, they would uh, like kind of cooperate with the local elites there and, and kind of buy them off and be like, hey, help defend us and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm sure some of that happened. Yeah, um, we're not, this is, sorry, this is not a Roman history podcast, so. <laughs> not our expertise here. Yeah, for you Roman history heads, sorry. <laughs> All right, enter Tiberius. All right, Tiberius, he's, first up. He's the older brother. He's like okay. 10 years older than the other one. Uh, he gets elected to Tribune of the Plebs. All right. Uh, basically, what I understand is like the kind of the House of Representatives as opposed to the Roman Senate. So, popularly elected, I guess. Yeah, I want to say, I thought that the Tribune was like a particular position that yes. stemmed from back in the day when they had the secession of the, of the plebeians, mm. which was like a strike. Um, oh. Essentially, the patricians, you know, the rich people in Rome, mm-hmm. were just treating all the plebeians like shit they were just like you guys fucking suck and just shoving them around everything you know so the plebeians are like fine you know what we're gonna leave the city all of us and you guys are gonna try to figure out how to do all the labor that's amazing and so they go to palatine hill or something maybe it's palatine hill i don't know how to pronounce it but um it always looks like palpatine hill palpatine um (laughs) but they go there and it's a big deal and so they have to send the army and stuff uh and then the the resolution is hey we're gonna make this office the tribune of the Plebeians, okay, and that will kind of look out for the popular interests. Mm-hmm. I think is what it was supposed to be. I think you're right. Yes. Um, so yeah, a, a basically a, a popular vote kind of position as opposed to the Senate, which was much more hierarchical. I yeah, guess. it was just like rich people. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> like it is today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's the difference? So Tiberius gets in there and he decides to actually enforce this reform law, the mm. land reform law. Um, He's like reading through the book. Wait a second. (laughs) Like, we're not doing this. Um, And he also like added some like guardrails to it. So it was very mild. Like you wouldn't be punished and you'd get compensated for your land. Like it was the chillest possible version. This is some freaking Jacobo Arben style. Mm -hmm. We'll pay you. you (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, even that the rich people were really pissed about it. Um, And they tried to like say that oh clearly he's just power grabbing he's just Mm. trying to make himself super popular with the people they were trying to like turn the people against uh tiberius Mm -hmm. this did not work so they ended up getting another uh tribune to veto this movement oh okay basically they go back and forth uh vetoing tiberius tries to pass a more intense version of the law they veto it um, and he would veto, like, everything else in return, <laughs> essentially grinding the government down to a halt. <laughs> okay, all right. So some parliamentarian <laughs> tactics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, he tries to get this guy who's vetoing everything, Octavius, removed from office. He's like, let's recall him. Let's let's say the last election wasn't legitimate, basically. Mm, okay. And uh, he calls a vote, and the guy's recalled. People, like kind of went nuts and went and beat the shit out of Octavius. Whoa. (laughs) They said, so was that because they thought that he had, you know, messed up the election or because they, they were mad at him for grinding everything to a halt? I think they just didn't like him. Okay. He was just, he was an asshole. I think so. Okay. (laughs) So he also like, he keeps stirring up shit in the Senate. Um, Mm -hmm. 
he gets involved in foreign affairs, which was very like, no, this is what the Senate does. You're not supposed to do that. Mm, okay. um, a foreign king dies and leaves his land to Rome because he basically was like, I'd rather just give it to y'all than y'all come like take it over and kill all my people. So like, here Fair you enough. go. Okay. <laughs> Tiberius basically says, let's sell this land and like use the money to buy farm equipment for poor people. Okay. It's not bad. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Senate th- thought it was though. <laughs> what? Poor people? Yeah. They were so mad and like things were very tense. Like Tiberius started walking around armed and like people were defo following him around. So he decides to do what was very taboo at the time, which is run for a second term as tribune. Hmm. Okay. So this was like very taboo. Like no one had ever done it before. Yeah. And then on voting day, uh, a senator comes up and is like, hey, someone's trying to kill you. It's not me, but like someone's trying to assassinate you. Uh, and the crowd gets super angry and riled up. And a bystander comes by and see Ti- sees Tiberius like pointing to his head for some reason. Like he was just like talking and gesturing. And this bystander interprets that as, oh, this dude wants a crown. And so he runs and narks on him to the Senate. Like Tiberius wants to be king. And like, oh, he was pointing <laughs> to his head. Like, give me a crown on this. Yeah, bitch. that's like, what he thought right. he was doing. Apparently okay. he was not doing that. Yeah. So those senators come down and uh, Tiberius gets beaten to death. <laughs> By who? The Senate? By the Senate. The Senate um, kills him? Yeah. And also 300 of like his followers and other followers are executed and thrown in the river or kicked out of Rome. Wow. <laughs> so they shut this shit down. Wow. Yeah. They really cracked heads. Okay. Yeah. Next is the younger brother, uh-huh. Gaius. Interestingly, Gaius is characterized as like very intense, very like kind of Trumpian and just yells a lot and gestures crazy, as opposed to his brother who was like portrayed as very like sober and rational and stuff like that. Mm. Um, And I just, I think that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) So this guy, um, his first kind of act that, you know, people already had their eyes on him because they were like, I mean, his brother was kind of a a problem (laughs) for us. Um, Also, they had like a very famous father. I don't remember who it was, but... That's fine. Mr. Gracchus. <laughs> Mr. Gracchus. <laughs> Gaius goes to Sardinia and he's like serving there. Um, and at one point he like helps procure clothing for some soldiers by like asking for donations from the people. Mm-hmm. And the Senate is like, oh no, this guy like is friends with the people. We all know what happened last time we had one who was friends with the people. <laughs> <laughs> and so they try to make him stay in Sardinia by asking his boss to stay. And usually if your boss stays somewhere, you you also are staying there. Okay. Um, yeah. But guys is like, nah, I'm going to come back home anyway. And so that also pissed them off. Like, you're breaking tradition again. Yeah, the patron client thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He runs for Tribune. Um, he's super popular, especially in the countryside. And when he's elected, he basically, like, takes some revenge on the people who, like, were actors in his brother's assassination and stuff like mm-hmm. he just like totally punishes them and shit okay um he also really appeals to the countryside with with other kinds of reforms he does land reforms he does election reforms he offers to pay for equipment for the army and because they used to have to like buy their own shit yeah he increased citizenship for non-romans he offered judiciary positions to the middle class that's traditionally only for rich people okay he capped grain prices um basically kind of like that silo program that the united states did was they would the government would purchase the grain and sell it at a loss so yeah it would never be too expensive okay so he's doing some really cool shit mm-hmm. he won a second term without even running oh wow <laughs> like there weren't enough guys who actually got enough of a majority so mm-hmm. like 
the guys who did get elected got to pick and they're like, all right, I'm going to pick that guy. So this is like a, a that forbidden second term that mm-hmm. his brother got killed over, but he just gets it. He just gets it handed nice. to him. Okay. Good job. <laughs> Obviously, the Senate hated this dude. What? Yeah. Don't know why. He's like providing for people. I guess that's bad. <laughs> In the eyes of a Senate, it is. But what's interesting is what they end up doing is stealing all of his ideas. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that the Roman Empire had like cheap ass grain and stuff subsidized by the government and things because like later, at least, I guess, because they stole it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know about the grain specifically. They stole other ideas for sure. He had an idea about building new colonies because Rome was like really overpopulated and he thought that would ease some of the poverty. Mm -hmm. And the Senate was like, no, uh, we're actually. And then they turned around and was like, well, we're going to do 12 new colonies instead of like three or whatever he proposed. (laughs) So they would just like build on it. It was like, thanks, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he also suggested that public land be able uh, to be rented to poor people for a lower price. And the Senate was like, all right, we're going to say no to that. But then we'll just rent it out to them for free. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. So they're just like one-upping him on Basically, things? Basically, yeah. And then they started freaking out about the, the citizenship question. Um, because they were worried that like he would be so popular with these newly made citizens that right. yeah classic immigration reform <laughs> argument mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they they tried like scaring the public like oh these immigrants are coming for your jobs like that kind of shit <laughs> and Gaius loses popular support and uh, they actually turn away these non citizens who are trying to enter the city to become citizens they turn them away and so he doesn't even have them anymore wow all right so he loses his next election. For, you know, the third term, he loses it. He gets really pissed, because remember, this guy's a hothead. Oh, yeah. He gets his supporters, like, really whipped up into, like, a mob, basically. <laughs> and uh, the two sides meet up at the forum. And one of the Senate side, like, talks some shit to one of his supporters. And that guy, like, turns around and kills him. So Nice. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, they're violent. Let's get them. And so <laughs> uh, the Senate declares martial law. Um, his supporters retreat to Aventine Hill. They try to like send a guy out to surrender, but it does not work. And Gaius is killed. Oh, okay. Uh, his followers have their property confiscated. They face exile or execution. So very similar yeah. to his brother. Also, they, they, they also get <laughs> mopped up. Wow. All right. Yeah. So what is the point of the story? How does it relate to communism and socialism? Obviously, it's not a one for one deal. What I was most interested in is the characterization of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I enjoyed the the YouTube portrayal, it was really interesting to see what they focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of attention was paid to their personalities and their motives. What, you know, one brother was really like chill and like you know cerebral, and the other one was crazy. There's also a lot of like debate on like did they actually care about the people or were they actually power hungry? You know, like it's the kind of classic populism question. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, who gives a fuck? I mean, they're providing for people. Like, why are we, why do we care so much? Yeah, no, you see, this is very relevant because you see this in still uh, modern day depictions of, you know, uh, and Cold War depictions of any sort of communist movement is look at these, you know, self-serving communists. They are insidiously trying to whip up popular support. And, you know, the and thing the, you have to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there, there's some sort of thing about nefarious and power hungry about like trying to help the lower classes as a way to gain popular support. It's like if they were nefariously trying to get power, why would they be going to like the least powerful the people, people without power? Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, even like the the illustrations that they did with it, like, you know, they're saying that Gaius was like offering all kinds of crazy stuff to the people. And like one of the little drawings was like candy and ponies and stuff like that. And I'm mm. like, I don't think that was the case. I think he was actually just trying to help people. Like, I don't know why we have to characterize it as like, this is out of control. Especially when, like, if you look at the Senate, like, they clearly are just, you know, running off of slave labor and just, like, endlessly exploiting people. So, like, I'm going to pick the guy who's offering to do nice things. Yeah, and it's, like, not like he's, again, not trying to over-glorify them. They're not fixing everything or whatnot. But, like, they were trying to help more regular people versus trying to exploit them even more. Mm -hmm. And they get characterized as, like, crazy and... Like rash, almost. Like I know the other yeah. guy's cerebral or whatever, but he's still like relying on, you know, the whims of the of the masses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's like seen as this like appeal to outside of the system, which is yes. bad from yes. the traditional point of view. So yeah. that's the other thing I want to talk about is this insane respect for tradition and procedure in the Roman government. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that just reeks of the modern Democratic Party of just like you broke a rule that's unheard of, mm-hmm. like. It it's just they they fucking faint every time someone snubs a tradition. Yeah, decorum, civility, all mm-hmm. this bullshit of following the rules. I mean, what was interesting is that like this was also characterized as like the downfall of Rome was like oh now that we've broken these rules there's no going back and like this is how democracy dies. Yeah, it's that's such a weird thing because like you know you do eventually get to the fall of the republic with like the you know the civil war I guess between. In, in the aftermath of, of Caesar's assassination, but mm-hmm. those—that's like just between rich guys, right? <laughs> it's not like a—it's a, not a popular. Really, none of them. Uh, Caesar was the one with the most popular support um, before he's marked mm-hmm. by rich people in the Senate, and then <laughs> just you a know, bunch of rich dudes doing yeah. murder. At least that's entertaining. God, yeah. And Put a TV one, in the Senate and just like <laughs> give them all some daggers. I'd watch that. Yeah, for real. <laughs> but I don't know. It's that's that's. Just an interesting point to, I don't know, thing to point at. Yeah. Is this versus... This is what caused it. Versus the ridiculous accumulation of wealth. I mean, one guy in the Civil War was the richest guy in Rome. He was, you know, just... He he would just field huge armies because he just had so much money. I think this was... It's not... Pompey was also rich. Pompey was one of the guys. Mm, That's a cool name. Uh... Yeah, Augustus, obviously, Mark Anthony. So maybe it was Pompey who was the rich guy. Crassus was another dude who was mm. super rich. And it was just, you know, just rich dudes. Like, yeah. if you just had the Senate break into factions of who was the richest and then, you know, went to civil war against each other. Like, it's not popular appeals. That's not what it is. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think that's really telling of, like, this is how we're teaching history is, like, these are the things you don't want to do. Take care right. of poor people. Yeah, because because you're breaking norms, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, you're breaking with tradition and the way that, the, the rule book that has served us so well. Mm-hmm. So well that we had already a civil war. <laughs> uh, so well that we, before that, had, like, chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. After that we had Jim Crow. During that we had a mass genocide of these Native rules America. work super well. <laughs> super well for some people, super well for the property <laughs> class, but not for others. So maybe those rules actually suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> All right. Our next story is our story from East Texas. Mm, all right. All right, we're going to talk about the Lone Star Steel strikes. All right, Lone Star Steel. I. Who are they? Okay. 
Uh, first, I want to kind of get into how I got into this story because it was kind of funny. Okay. Um, I started by, I came across a, a news story about the IWW presence in Yakima, Washington, mm, okay. uh, which is a really small town that I visited a few times because my husband has family there. Um, and it was an interesting article, but it got me wondering like, oh, I want to just like look up Texas labor history for a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I came across some cool stuff. Like apparently the Knights of Labor had like a huge presence here. Like they were very popular. Um, in East Texas. Not East Texas specifically, but in Texas. And I think Dallas was where I was looking at first. Okay, cool. Yeah. Eventually, I came across this story about two strikes in East Texas that were, like, very violent and, like, intense. Mm -hmm. um, here's the thing. It was super hard to find good sources on this. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was, like, Googling every combination of words I could think of. I was, like, deep into some weird archives. Like, yeah. <laughs> it took some legwork. Um, I could have done more, but this is kind of what I was able to piece together. Unfortunately, one major source I had to use was a book written by a Texas Ranger, mm. uh, <laughs> Lewis Wrigler. Mm -hmm. In case you want to like kind of get to know him, he starts off with a, a charming little tale about how in his youth he tried to strike for money working in the fields and it failed and like... His uncle, like, made some one-liner about, like, how the mule was better off than him or something. Like, it was just very, like, fuck striking, basically. Yeah, bootlicker ideology. Mm-hmm. All right, so our story takes place in Dangerfield, Texas. Okay, all right. Dangerfield, Texas. Oh, yeah. All right, I've been there. I have as well. <laughs> <laughs> they have the Lone Star Steel Plant, owned by one E.B. Germany. And this guy's... Fun fact is that he once hired a company minister. Okay, cool. Weird, but cool, I guess. Um, but it was to go check on workers who called in sick so he could see if they were really sick. Oh, nice guy. All right. <laughs> so that's the kind of asshole we're dealing Mr. with here. Mr. Germany, very kind. Yeah. I mean, Dangerfield was like a steel town. Like, this was like most people worked here. It was very much like a one one horse town and the horse is steel. <laughs> when, uh, when was this? The first strike that we're going to talk about is in the 50s, and then the second one's in the 60s. In the 1950s and 1960s. 1950s yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so the 1957 strike was a wildcat strike. Uh, listeners, if you're new here, a wildcat strike is a non-union strike. It's just, like, more spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, like, localized. It's a union strike, but it's not approved by the national union. That mm. local branch is like, well, fuck it. We're going on strike. National union doesn't support it. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, between 75 to 95% of workers walked out of the plant. I had very differing sources on this. One was the Texas Ranger being like, not even everybody left. And then some, you know, coming from the union who was like, yeah, everybody left. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that's the range you're talking about. 75% would be not everybody left. That's uh, it's true. It's still a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the strikers surrounded the plant gates to prevent workers uh, who were trying to like come back to work. And yeah, everything. scabs. Yeah, and uh, they, the company hired a ton of scabs, and they fired the strikers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the ranger fucking complains this whole chapter, just like, it's just so hard managing a strike. Nobody likes you. Both the company doesn't like you. They don't think you're doing enough, and the workers don't like you. Oh, nobody because loves me. you're taking their livelihood. <laughs> the company does not liking you is just, you know, be, they're an asshole boss. That's why there is a strike. <laughs> you know, get uh, obviously, that's the type of employer you're working for. And then, obviously, the, the workers don't like you because you, you are dick. stealing food from their children. <laughs> Yeah, he does a lot of complaining. It's pretty funny. Um, 
But yeah, so this strike gets violent pretty quickly. Uh, you have shootings, you have fires, people were putting sugar in gas tanks, uh, overturning trucks, uh, they're bombing things, usually with cheap dynamite, with just like a clock stuck on them, like very Looney Tunes Whoa, shit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you have any, did you get anything in your sources about like, was this just both sides attacking each other? Was like the company doing it more? Was this like guerrilla stuff? Or So unfortunately, because of the sources I had, only I could only find one source that was saying that like it was on both sides. And this was like a very clearly pro-union and pro-leftist source. And it was like kind of a rinky-dink website. So I was like, I don't know, like, okay. I don't know where you were sourcing this. That's yeah. my question. Um, I mean, I don't disbelieve that. I'm sure there was fighting on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, like, official news reports and, and you know, the Rangers fucking account was that it was all them striking yeah. out. Okay. So, unclear. Hey, hey, I was just trying to find out, even if that's the case and it's 100%, it's justified. You're still trying to make sure that you can survive versus these other guys who are just coming in to kick the door in to make sure that this this uh, steel titan mm-hmm. can make more profits. Mm-hmm. You know, he's what is he starving in the street? You know, <laughs> he had to sell his second house like no, yeah. it's fine. EB Germany did fine. So yeah. At one point, uh, the strikers accidentally blow up a gas line. They meant, well, they meant to blow up the gas line that fed to the, the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they accidentally blew up one that fed to the local hospital. Oh, so, yeah, everyone got really mad at them. They lost a lot of public support. Um, and, like, the strike ends shortly after that. Okay. I'll, um, give, I'll give a strike. You know, I'm not one to give strikes and still just just don't make mistakes, man. That was a mistake. <laughs> Shouldn't have made it. That was, oops. Sorry. <laughs> So according to the ranger, the workers were allowed to return to their old jobs on the basis of seniority. But I found a differing report from a TV station in Fort Worth that said since the company had hired so many workers during the strike, there weren't enough jobs Mm. and people lost their seniority benefits. And one of the things that caused the fucking strike was disputes over the seniority benefits. Oh, so so they used that to clean house, basically. Essentially, yeah. Mm. Uh, poor little EB Germany, crying, weeping. Yeah, very uh, sad. Files a suit for five and a half million dollars against the Steelworkers Union. Okay, all right. <laughs> were they nationally? You said they were Knights of Labor, or um, this one was? Oh, by that point, I don't think they would be. But no, they they were part of the Steelworkers Union. Um, but this particular strike was not sanctioned by them. But so I'm like, okay. well, hi, why are you suing them? Yeah, they they stayed <laughs> they out of it. They seem to not have done it. I so I don't know. Was clean. Moving forward to 1968. All right, so tensions simmer, probably, I imagine. They go back and forth a lot with their contracts. In between. And yeah. Then, all right. Now we're in 1968. Um, they're trying to improve pensions, benefits, vacations, and safety problems. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't think the factor's being run right. Yeah. By this time, Lone Star Steel absolutely has monopolized the area, meaning you basically don't have options for other jobs. Before, you could probably find work somewhere else if you tried, but like now it's like, no, this is it. You have to move now. It's a steel town. It's a steel town. Okay. This strike was union-sanctioned, it seemed like. It might have been on the local level. I couldn't find exactly if that was the case. Did it say what union they were in or no? Yeah, it gave their uh, chapter. It was United Steelworkers Local 4134. Okay. Yeah. That's a big one. I mean, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) So once again, the company hires scabs, um, and they actually have to put them up in tent cities on the plant's grounds, because, like, no one in town wants to fucking deal with them. The scabs? Yeah. So they live, like, on, like, right outside the factory. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Strikers fucking do it again. They attack trucks that are leaving the plant that are loaded up with steel. This is East Texas, so it's a very wooded area, if you're not familiar with it. Um, they would, like, basically do some guerrilla shit. They'd hide in the woods and shoot at the tires or gas tanks of the trucks going by. <laughs> um, they shoot at workers leaving the plant, including some who were undercover cops. <laughs> oh, nice. Good. <laughs> yes. Parody, parody. Yeah, yeah. Jokes. A worker who was non-striking was actually shot to death. Um, this gets covered a lot in the media. Um, yeah. He was like 24 with like a wife and kid, so mm-hmm. not a great look. <laughs> they continued to use bombs. Um, at one point, a bomb was found like in the cafeteria, like in somebody's jacket, just like left there. Um, they managed to defuse it, but yeah. The guy does have a tragic personal story, but he is putting his own well-being ahead of the collective well-being of everybody like it's, true. I, it's it's sad on an individual level but if you say i'm just gonna look out for my own and everything and screw everybody else You're it's kind exactly, of an asshole. yeah that's what capitalism wants you to do is it wants you to silo off and say it's just about me screw everybody else i'm not gonna work with anybody i'm gonna look after me and my own rugged individualism mm-hmm. and you know it is sad that the guy was killed but yeah. he was on the wrong side yeah. I know. So I guess to counteract a little bit of the tragic nature of it is is that while it was sad on that individual level, did make the wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> what else is sad? Everyone losing their jobs and yeah. like or being forced to work for shit wages. Like that's also bad. Yeah. <laughs> they bombed trucks in Mount Pleasant. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Uh, there was a real estate office um, that would help house new workers. They bombed the fuck out of that. Nice. <laughs> uh, they also like would b- put bombs in the rooms of rangers working the strike. Excellent. Uh, they were staying like in nearby hotels and stuff. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. What's even better is it was crazy hard to convict anybody because the whole county like supported the strikers. Mm-hmm. So like they're like, yeah, I'm not. That's Nobody fine. was talking to the. You didn't have thin blue line stickers out here back mm-mm, then. Mm-mm. <laughs> Nobody fucking liked these cops, and of course, yeah. you know, the ranger weeping every night because he's unpopular. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. A lot of these people are still alive, probably, and probably now have thin blue line stickers out there. But I know. I that's what I thought was really interesting about this because is, it meant a di- it means a different thing now. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, in 1969, um, a, a wage increase was agreed upon, but none of like the other rules that they wanted instated, like the safety stuff, was really addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, the company was also allowed to retain workers they had hired during the strike. So kind of the same deal. <laughs> They're trying to get rid of these guys and give mm-hmm. higher wages to someone else a lot of people left we've seen in previous strikes that we've talked about too is that once the strike is over they'll pay those new workers more more. yeah they're hemorrhaging money by paying scabs but it's just so they can break the union so they don't have to continuously Mm -hmm. pay people more and better benefits and stuff yeah hilariously enough texas rangers no longer work strikes i guess it was too hard (laughs) <laughs> and they gave up on that? Yeah. Well, they used to say, you know, the old, the stupid old adage for them was, uh, you know, one riot, one ranger, or uh, one strike, one ranger. Oh, God. Ugh. Yeah. That, they were professional was, strike breakers. That was kind of part of their main deal back I in the mean, day. They were fucking slave catchers, too, so. Yeah, and in the initial <laughs> days as well, they were kind of like a border force sort of thing. They were roughing up Mexican-Americans on the, mm-hmm. on the border and things, so. They were, they're a force for bad, yeah, force for really evil. Are. Why the do world. we still have these? Throw the whole man out. Well, yeah, they're <laughs> cops, so. Yeah. So um, what I found interesting about this one, I really enjoyed the research process of this. As hard as it was, I was like having a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
shout out to UNT's digital library because they had these scraps of news from the TV stations so you could oh. see the script. Nice. The what was really annoying is I couldn't like they would say, okay, sound for B-roll and go to this guy and they wouldn't give you the whole quote. So I only got like bits of pull quotes and I was like, I really want to know what the fucking guy said. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was really interesting just to read these like, it was your typewritten notes with like handwritten edits on them and stuff and like underlining. It was very cool. Yeah. That's Um, awesome. So shout out to UNT. Go Eagles. (laughs) I just, I really loved the you know, having to piece together the story between an obviously biased view from the Texas Ranger and then these little scraps of news um, that were still, like, quite biased, honestly. Um, less mm-hmm. so. They were very straightforward of, like, someone was murdered and, like, you know. Yeah, they were um, doing the local news bit sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was a little, it was less biased, but still, like, I had to kind of parse together the whole story based off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what also, I mean... The real interest for me was that this is a story from East Texas. I mean, not that long ago. 1968 is not that long ago. Um, And it was just a cool story about, like, here's what happens when you have a town that is completely reliant on one industry, both the good and bad of it, because the good of it being, like, everyone is kind of in solidarity against these fucking assholes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Not the place you would expect. Definitely um, not. Given the, well, so the political culture here, if you guys don't know is extremely conservative definitely uh, <laughs> reactionary super trump country so it's just weird to see that sort of a anti-police widespread sentiment yeah you know? yeah i mean you have people out here like bombing cops that's pretty <laughs> crazy that's wild uh, one thing i found about lone star steel company mm-hmm. uh, is just it's just something from their wikipedia page I, oh I yeah was, i was really not doing research for this episode I saw this and I thought it was funny. The company presented its annual Chief Roughneck Award to lifetime contributors to the petroleum industry since 1955. Okay. So a, a Chief Roughneck Award, if you click on that. Mm-hmm. Is it, did it go to a fucking ranger? No. Okay. Uh, that would be funny. It honors the highest ideals of the petroleum industry and is awarded to honor the achievements and character of a petroleum executive. Oh my gosh. They, a roughneck is someone out in the fucking field. Yeah, like on the oil rig. Like <laughs> a there's there's those are probably like there are no two occupations further apart. No. In temperament. <laughs> those yeah. are hard jobs. Yeah. Then <laughs> a roughneck a versus roughneck. an oil executive. Oh my god. I couldn't think of someone to like worse exemplify like the type of worker you need to be a roughneck than For an oil real. executive. <laughs> <laughs> and like none of this is mentioned on that Wikipedia page, is it? Hmm? None of these strikes are mentioned on that Wikipedia no, page, are no, they? No, there was absolutely nothing about Zero. that. It just says uh, that it was founded in 1942. In 1981, they produced, you know, it's just like a like a, a like you would line. see on a wall in their company headquarters or something. Just yeah. bullshit. You know? I just think that's so fascinating. Like, the research process of this, it was very challenging. Like, I hit a bunch of paywalls in local newspapers and stuff. And even then, I was never getting, you know, both sides of the story. It was really just either neutral or cop story. Yeah. Like, I mean, if bombings are happening in your area, you'd think you'd fucking know about it. Yeah. That's hilarious and dark. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I find that stuff fascinating, too, that local history that kind Mm -hmm. of falls out of the public, you know, well, and the academic focus, too. Like, it's not big and sexy. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not. so, So people, historians aren't focusing in on that and 
and going and digging that stuff up or whatever. Because, I mean, they could go and spend, you know, yeah. days at the archives and actually uncover stuff more than we can just researching online. Yeah, yeah. There <laughs> apparently was some archives at, like, Arlington University. And I was like, oh, I don't want to drive out there. So I did not. <laughs> so there could be more to the story that I'm missing. Yeah. But, um, I mean, we were even talking about, like, the race riots in East Texas and, mm-hmm. like, I've literally never heard any person mention those. Yeah. Like I had, we found that on Wikipedia one day. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, oh man, I I, I know where that is. Yeah, like, we like I've recognize seen... the street names and shit. Yeah, it's crazy. And how many places in America have those sorts of histories? And how many are in the same vein of like are now deeply conservative areas that were once bastions of the labor movement and of militant labor strikes like if you think about west virginia that's one that comes to most harlan county you know all sorts of places throughout the south throughout the west it's just it's crazy yeah i mean you know what this is kind of a fun homework assignment google your hometown and you know strikes or i used iww i used labor action strikes like i just kind of like use those search terms see what happened because it's really interesting yeah it's it's out there yeah, yeah. Probably. I mean, maybe your town has always been chill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the the Yakima story that got me started, like that area is, I mean, people think of Washington State as very liberal. Um, that's more just Seattle. Everything else, especially once you cross the mountains in the middle of the state, super Trump country. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had like a lot of run-ins between like fucking big Bill Hayward Worth was up there and he got like arrested for just like something stupid, like smoking outside, like get out of here, like something really <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, but you know, the cops were constantly like coming to head to, to blows with IWW folks up there. Yeah. And I mean, there was big organizing in the, in the thirties and, and stuff up there. Cause they were, you know, on the work contracts and stuff. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big farm, uh, community. Yeah. So yeah, that's your homework this week. Listeners, Google <laughs> your hometown, find out your secret history. Yeah. All right. I have one more bonus just cause we're doing pretty good on time here. All right. Um, this is a story about Magellan. The explorer guy? Yeah. Okay. So, um, again, hard to find really good sources on this. So this is kind of pieced together through uh, a podcast that Kyle listened to again. <laughs> and uh-huh. then he just comes and tells me whatever socialist bits he finds in history podcasts. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's great. I get to filter it. And then also I found like one source on it uh, elsewhere, but it was like a fucking Quora or something. So like I couldn't find it verified online, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting tale if true. So Magellan is sailing around, making his big, big trip. He's trying to get around the world. Not in 80 days, in a long time. I think it takes him more than a year. <laughs> Loser. Or his crew, rather. Yeah. Um, and he comes across some islands. Uh, today, they're known as the Northern Mariana Islands. Okay. And um, they go up. They get some supplies from like the natives there. Like The natives give them food and stuff. Okay. Um, and then... I don't know if they like are chilling later or when this happens, but basically the natives start like taking stuff from the ship. Uh-huh. And so they like get really mad about it and they're like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like they take like some rowboats, they take like some supplies and stuff. They like kick them off and they like have to fight them off or whatever. Yeah. So they end up labeling this Island, the Isle of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Even though first off, these guys like fucking share their shit with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently according to their like customs, like, goods were just like in common like mm. property just like didn't really exist like if you needed something you just fucking took it yeah so if anyone has any more details on this i couldn't find it like just kind of a brief search into like indigenous customs of the area or anything uh-huh. um but yeah i just thought that was like 
kind of funny. That <laughs> Just is like interesting. Yeah. The worst possible interpretation of an interaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, socialists wear thieves. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we do. I'll uh, move to the Isle of Thieves. Sounds great. <laughs> Take what you want. <laughs> hold everything in common. That's that. Uh, we had talked, we answered a listener question about that of the mm-hmm. kind of what quote unquote primitive communism, but just like, you know, that whole communal communalism mm-hmm. of people holding things in common like that. And you can, I guess, maybe they do engage in some sort of small scale agriculture or subsistence agriculture or whatnot. But usually once you transition like that, then you, you start getting classes and stuff, extra yeah. food, people sitting around, but that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think you're right. Like, I I think it's very telling that, like, some of our earliest examples of, of written documents are, like, accounting books, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's a reason for it, you and know? You start keeping track of all that extra shit and then charging people for it. And, I mean, you come up with writing, basically... For numbers. So that you can keep track of your debts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, there's a really good... Uh, history of that that I actually have not finished yet. It's called Death the First 5,000 Years by uh, mm. David Graeber. Okay, yeah. I like that guy. And so he's he's got this interesting, you know, because he's an anthropologist and stuff. Yeah. So he's always looking at these early cultures and basically saying, like, look, guys, like, people shared. Like, that was our main thing, was mm-hmm. sharing. And lending people things and, and having, like, debts owed to each other. But that not being a tabulated big deal. It was just like, oh, yeah, you owe me. Pay me back sometime. But, like, it was it was a social bond. If you entered yeah. into, like, where you have commerce between people who don't know, who don't trust, then you would have to actually keep ledgers between it because you're like, this motherfucker could do whatever. You know, he could just run off. He doesn't have to pay me back. I don't know him or where his people come from. You know, that's it's, it's a different thing than those social bonds, keeping all those debts running, and then... Another thing is that periodically ancient societies and stuff would just clear debts mm. like, throughout the whole society. What the fuck? Debt even, forgiveness? Yeah. And this was even in, in built up kingdoms and, and empires and stuff that weren't doing any of this communalism. Yeah. Every once in a while, the kings and the emperors and stuff, they would be like, no debts. We've got records of this in history. What the fuck? They would just wipe them out. They'd be like, reset because it got crazy. Yeah. So, like, I mean, to me, the the social debt kind of model, it reminds me of, like, when you go out with a friend, you're like, yeah, I'll buy dinner this time. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. like, fucking obsess over it. You just, like, kind of trust each other. They're like, yeah, you'll get it next time. Not a big deal. If you don't, I also don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically sharing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kindergarten shit. <laughs> yeah. Humans, we can actually do that. That's, that's like... Not a problem. Pretty natural to us. <laughs> Human nature. All right, uh, a little bit of a shorty for you guys, but I think we we over-delivered last time, so (laughs) we're going to give you guys a little bit of a break this time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, take take it easy. Light reading, light listening. You're not reading this, unless you're a patron. Unless you are. Read their notes. Absolutely. Um, What are we doing next week? Next week, I'm glad you asked, because I do need to give you an announcement. No, no. Next week, there's going to be a quiz. No! Yes, that's right. You better study up. Uh, there's going to be a quiz drawn from all, basically all the material that we've covered. Oh, no! Um, the highlights. I mean, you know, if it's very obscure, I'm not going to say, well, what did Ian ask on this episode? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something that like that. That would be rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, but it'll be stuff drawn from various episodes. Okay. Quiz questions. 
We'll see how you do. We may discuss some other things as as time allows. We'll okay. see what's up. But yeah, that's what we're planning. All right, listeners, we'll, play along at home. <laughs> yeah, a little recap. See how well you're coming along in your in your communist and anarchist learnings. And maybe if you don't do that well, you got to go back to the backlog and check it out. I mean, I think I might have to. (laughs) (laughs) In preparation? Probably, yeah. And if you don't, then you'll be like, well, damn, now I have to. Yeah, I just got my ass handed to me (laughs) in front of everybody. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right, cool. See you then. All right, bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.